do 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 my name's Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 486, which are all even numbers, which I'm sure you're happy to hear about. Right, sweetheart? Yes. 486. Yes. Good numbers. Uh, yes. Um, why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding, and who does want to feel outstanding? And I always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show... I'm looking at Kathy because, first of all, I I, listen, I really listened to the podcast last week. Uh huh. I think I said "sweetie" about 42 times. <laughs> I'm starting to annoy myself. Uh oh. So I'm going to go back to Kathy. Actually, I'm not. Okay. But for now, I am. Okay. Um, for the first time, I literally have no idea what we're about to talk about. Well, I think we're going to talk about um, a study about relationships. Okay. And also why they're important and recognizing the most obvious things that we miss regarding relationships. Study about relationships, uh-huh. why they're important and uh-huh. why there's things that we miss that are important. Right. Got it. Okay. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan, Stan. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about, I can't remember what show, but we talked about the Harvard study. Oh yeah, we referred to it, but we never really discussed and explained what it is. Sure. Do you remember? And the reason why I wanted to discuss it is I think that we, you know, a lot of times we talk about how important, you know, we like a a quote that we say all the time is connection is everything, Mm -hmm. or you know, relationships are the most important things. And I think people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But we don't explain the why. Exactly. And and I wanted to explain the why and also give us a better um, kind of idea of what we mean by relationships, because I think sometimes people focus on what they don't have rather than what they do have. So a lot of times when you'll, you know, someone will read something and it'll say, you know, build community, have friends around you. And so then someone thinks, oh, I have to do more, Mm. you know, like I have to go out more or, you know, I have to find more people or I have to figure out a new group of friends. Like they're oftentimes on Team Zen, but also women I work with, they say things like, I don't really have friends. I don't really have a group. um, I don't have people that I can rely on. But then when you really start talking to them, they'll be like, oh, yeah, my neighbor next door or my mom or, you know, my my husband or and I'm like, but aren't those people that you can rely on? And and they're like, yeah, they're there, but I want different people and what and or more people. And my my focus here is sometimes we miss what's right in front of us. Mm. We miss the obvious, Mm. which is making your relationships a priority doesn't mean you have to create more of them necessarily. You may want to, that that's not a bad thing, but it's not about that you have to go get more. It's that you pay attention to what you have. Well, and I kind of feel like, first of all, I'm glad this is what we're talking about because I think it's important. And I want to real briefly talk about why the why is so important. Yeah. Because so a few things, Simon Sinek, who's one of my favorite teachers, I think has a book called Starts With Why. Or his first TED talk. What's was, your why? What's your why? Yeah. So it's really good. And then Tony Robbins, who's another one of my favorite teachers, uh, he had an acronym that he used in one of his events that I liked: OPA, Outcome, Purpose, Action. So if you want to like lose twenty pounds or or make a million dollars, you you want to define what the outcome is. 
uh, which is fine, which is important. You need to know what you're striving for. But the purpose is the why, and the why is what gives it emotion. Right. Because you could want a million dollars or lose 20 pounds, but unless you know what the why is, you're going to... Our, our makeup is not set up to just do things for the sake of doing them. Right. The why is what gives it... Um, I don't know. It's more tangible. Like I said, the emotion is attached to it. And that's what will get you to, for the lack of a better term, make these sacrifices or do this next hard thing. So um, so I would say, and then the action, OPA, outcome, purpose, action. Action is what you do, which is the easy part. Like now I just need to do whatever these things are. So for the purpose of this discussion, the outcome is live a long, beautiful life. Right? Right. The Harvard study talks right. about these men who were studied back from the 1920s or 30s. Uh, some of them live a long, what, quote unquote, beautiful life, connected, happy, and some of them did not. And what was the difference between these two groups of people? Well, and, and let me say this because sometimes it can sound kind of fairy tale ish. The, the people who lived uh, a long life, their measure of success wasn't about consistent success. They had very up, they had ups and downs. Right. Like I think sometimes when we're like, these people lived a good life, these people didn't, I, there can be an assumption that these people had nothing happen to them and these people did. The people, everybody has things that happen to them. Of course. All these people had challenges. It's how they maneuvered through them. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, again, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. Sometimes when I read stories, um, the way that people are defined, it sounds as if they lived this very neutral, everything went okay, but that doesn't happen to anybody. What it is, is how we respond. respond and then how we navigate and negotiate and, and, you know, reflect on our experiences because, you know, we all have traumas, but how we deal with trauma is different. Um, we all have emotional experiences and challenges, but how we deal with them are different. So, so I want to just go through some of the basic things that came out of this Harvard study. And again, let me say that there is this psychiatrist who does a TED talk about this. Um, his name is Robert J. O. Waldinger. Oh, the Walds. That's my favorite well, Harvard guy. It is it. Well, what's interesting is he's like the seventh person to take over this study because this because is a been long going on so study. Long. Exactly. So he said that, you know, if he could meet the psychiatrist who started this, they'd be shocked that it was still going. Yeah. Did you have any idea what you yeah, created? Like, uh, you know, how much information you would gain. Now, what I will also say, because as I was reading this, I was thinking this and I was also and I also noticed that there were a few comments about this. This is a study on men. Yes. Okay. And and many of us will say, well, that's not fair, which I agree. Um, but you've got to remember when it was started. It started in the 20s or 30s? Exactly. So when you go back to that time, all clinical trials were being done on men. And unfortunately, many still are. And I think the beginning, the uh, creation, the genesis of the study was how to motivate store managers or something like oh, that. Oh, interesting. So the only store managers are all guys. So right. that's how it began. So this study kind of morphed into many different things. Yeah. And so let's just start with that. Let's start with the understanding that, yes, this is only focused on men and women do have different kind of, you know, life experiences or, you know, maybe a different focus occasionally. Um, but I think over in the big picture, we can take some great information sure. out of it. Okay. So I, but I did want to say that because, you know, this is something that comes up a lot, Todd, you know, just to 
take a really quick tangent, uh, a, a really quick diversion here, is that a lot of studies are just done on men. Sure. Women aren't studied, yeah. especially when it comes to things around medical issues or drugs. And it's the reason they aren't studied is because, A, of hormonal changes in their bodies, and B, mm. pregnancy. So these things can affect, obviously, out comes because they don't they you know throughout a woman's life there you know these balances don't remain steady especially if we have children um and so it can be difficult to measure now i would say why don't you just study women and take that into account yeah but we're getting there you know but still i just had to, to say that so basically this psychiatrist uh, robert robert waldinger he um he, he shared in this TED Talk the major lessons that they learned on this study. Um, so basically, they followed these men for, what, 75 years, Todd? Yeah. Um, and they what they're studying is like life, lifespan development um, and what are the secrets to a happy life. Yeah. Okay? So... One, the first thing that they found is that a happy childhood has long-lasting effects. This isn't super shocking, right? No. Nope. Having really good connected relationships with your parents when you're a kid is a good predictor that you'll have more secure relationships when you grow up. Right. So here in itself is what we're always talking about on this show, why connection is so important with our children, because it's not just about this moment. It's about the way that they experience relationships as they get older. Planting seeds. Yes, and, and developing their neurobiology and developing their the you know their own belief systems about what a relationship is and developing their own um I don't want to belief systems isn't it I would say it's more neurobiology right. I would say it's more about their hardwiring about their expectation and here's the thing for those of you who have had you know you've maybe gone through a divorce or there've been major challenges or health challenges or whatever it's not, again, it's not just about static, everything is always okay. It's about how it was managed. Right. You know, do you talk about it? Is there some awareness around it? Is it, can you communicate about things? Is, was there some healing? Is there some, you know, lessons learned? This still is helpful to our neurobiology. Like we can't in life be like, I'm going to, you know, one thing that um, Glennon talked about at our conference that made everybody laugh. Glennon Doyle. Yes, was about this, you know, our generation of parenting, you know, the way we parent is, you know, we were given our children and basically what was said to us is raise these children, let nothing happen to them, let no drop of water hit their head, let no pain reach them. And that was kind of what we have grown up in, you yeah. know, and again, I'm saying grown up because we were young adults when we became parents. And there's this belief system that we were supposed to protect our kids from pain rather than help them navigate through pain. Yeah. And this is why Julie... Our other speaker, Julie Lithcott-Hames, wrote a book about how to raise an adult because she, while she was dean at Stanford, started experiencing these children who were raised in such a way that they were overprotected and they were not given enough autonomy mm -hmm. and they were not 
you know, it, they were protected from things rather than supported through things. Right. And there's a difference. Whereas, you know, the other joke is the way we were raised, you know, and again, as Glennon said, you know, the, par- the parents were given us, our parents were given us, and they just basically said, yeah, take them home, you know, smoke, drink, do whatever you need to do, let them play until late. Mm-hmm. And we grew up in a much more autonomous environment. Right. Wouldn't you describe it as that? Yeah. And I think the sweet spot, first of all, there is no sweet spot, but if there was, it would be a balance between Between how the way we were raised in the seventies and eighties and how we raise our kids in the two thousands and two thousand tens and everything else. Right. I think it's that balance between the two. And then 20 years from now, it's going to be a balance between two other generations. So Mm -hmm. this continues to evolve. And I think, you know, the key is, is it's not so much about picking out the components of our childhood and their childhood and like, you know, micromanaging them. It's looking at it as a whole and remembering that connection is everything. Self-awareness helps us connect and that our children's ability to develop self-awareness helps them manage their emotional experiences, helps them respond rather than react, helps them, you know, practice self-compassion, which then in turn helps them practice compassion for the world. Um, Cultivate intrinsic motivation. And those things will never go out of style. No. You know, I mean, we can go back in time and we can go, I think we could even go forward into the future. You know, I was listening to a a podcast. It's an old one with Steven Pinker. Mm-hmm. You, you know who that guy is? Uh, Sam Harris refers to him a lot. Yeah, he kind of has, he's done a lot of research around that actually, even though the news and so many other outlets tell us that things are getting worse, yeah. his research focuses on, he accumulates data and, he's, he, and he thinks things are getting better. Well, and, the, and his data proved, suggests that. Correct. The data says things are getting better. Why people struggle with his data is because he, you know, it's about the individual experience versus the whole. Mm -hmm. Like he will say, actually, things are getting better. There's so many less people in poverty. So many more people are fed. And then, you know, somebody who is in a job that is disappearing, like somebody who works in coal or something like that, they will say, but my life's not getting better. So therefore things aren't getting better, but it's this, it's the micro versus the macro. Well, and you know, think about my dad was born in 1940. What was going on in the world in 1940? We're in the middle of World World War II. II where a bazillion people were killed. Right. Obviously, there's still war, so we're not close to having it perfect. And, you know, but but just through that lens alone, we're getting a lot better. Right. It, and, you know, gosh, I why did I bring up Steven Pinker? What was I saying before that? Um, because there was something I was going to mention that he said um, about this study. Because basically, you know... <sighs> Well, I'll I'll see if I can figure it out. Sweetie, put it in your vestibule. Oh, boy. Our it's... vestibules are not as big as... I say vestibule. <laughs> when I'm in a conversation, <laughs> five years ago, I would be able to like put it in the vestibule and bring it back out in two minutes when the person's done talking. <laughs> I can't do that anymore because if I think I'm going to re- remember it in five minutes, it most likely is not going to happen. Oh, I remember. Yay. You helped me because my vestibule is getting smaller too. Yes. Only a few things can fit in there. He was talking about how in this TED, this uh, it was a TED Talk um, podcast. That's why I keep saying TED. But he was being interviewed by Chris, you know, the yeah. TED Talk guy. And he was saying how interesting it is to him that all future movies are dystopian. Mm. 
Because the truth is that, so we look back in our history like with such fondness. and all that Yeah, stuff. it's all AI. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, it's so funny to me that we're creating, he goes, we're creating all this AI to help us. And all of the, you know, everything we're doing to code it is about empathy and making people uh, you know, connect better and making our lives simpler. And we somehow think that one day they're all going to come together and turn on us. Yeah. And he's like, nothing has been coded that way. Yeah. You know, he's like, that doesn't really make sense with the way we're developing it. But we really do believe that one day they're just all going to turn, on, turn us. on us. And he goes, I don't see that happening. Now, it doesn't mean that AI doesn't have challenges. See, here's the thing that people do is again, false dichotomy, right? As soon as someone like Steven Pinker says, I don't see AI turning on us, then all of a sudden someone's like, but what about- This time. This time, or what about if this could happen? And he he's not naive mm. to things could go wrong. Yeah. You know, if we become solely focused on computers, which I think we're already there, but- you know, obviously things can break down, things can be hacked, things can be challenged by, you know, can be held hostage. Like he he gets all that, but it's about seeing the big picture mm-hmm. versus focusing on just your experience alone. And he was like, it's so interesting to me that everything, you know, think about the Hunger Games, think about um, Divergent, think about anything that is, you know, I am legend, like anything that is in the future is dystopian. Well, it's Mad Max. Because movies are created to make us scared right. and make us excited and if there's nobody's going to go watch a movie about how everybody loves everybody that's not why we go watch movies right we we watch movies because of Joseph Campbell's thing the hero's journey right we want to go through a challenge and then yeah but couldn't we go through a challenge that is not with you know the <laughs> well you know Todd and I laugh sometimes, not not laugh like, oh, this is super funny, but laugh probably out of fear and discomfort when we see the commercials for like the movies where like, you know, New York is blowing up and yeah. the water is taking over Los Angeles or yeah. Chicago. And I, it's unbelievable to me that we watch these movies. Like, why is that? Why? Why does that? You said excite us. That doesn't excite me. That terrifies me. Wakes you up. It does. But what can I possibly do? We go to movies to be entertained and to be woken up. Eckhart has a wonderful piece on this in his book, A New Earth. It's been a few years since I read it, but about why we watch violence. Yeah. 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 I do get it. Like you know. If I were just to talk about in general terms, I understand, but I also individually, again, I'm going to go from macro back to micro, Mm -hmm. individually, that choice, like it's part of, like, I, I understand the whole like superhero thing. You know, there's a few of them that I really like and, you know, they're interesting or whatever. And I, I watched the first Avengers and it's so great to see them all interact. You know, I think there's been like two movies since then that I haven't seen the most recent Avengers. Yeah. You're not on top of it. I'm not on top of it. But my point is, is that there's so much destruction and like, you know, from what I've heard, the last Avengers movie was kind of a downer mm. because some people may not be coming back, if you know what I mean. Oh, really? Somebody, one of the superheroes died? No, not just one, sweetie. Oh, a few of them. Yeah, I yeah, mean, but then they'll bring them back like Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers. They keep coming back. Sweetie, those were not the same as superheroes. Those were nemesises. Um, I want to get back to the connection part yes. and the relationships. I do want to talk about our first part, okay, partner of the week, uh, Boogie Wipe, sweetie. I did a little research on the word boogie in songs. Oh, boy. Um, I'm not going to play them, uh, but the Bee Gees has a song called Boogie Child. Oh. 
Do you remember that one? No. Brooks, but a boogie child would probably like a boogie wipe. Yes. Brooks and Dunn has the boot scoot and boogie. Oh, I know that one. The boot scoot and boogie. Yeah. Um, Snoop Dogg has a song called Up Jump That Boogie. Oh, yeah. I don't know that one. Elton John's Street Boogie. No. And then finally, Elvis Presley, Milk Cow Blues Boogie. What about all the 70s songs? Like I didn't get those. I oh. What's great is I Googled um, songs that have the word boogie in the title uh-huh. and that like it... It auto-populated. Like, somebody has already asked that question. Of course. There is nothing that people haven't asked. Anyway, so Boogie Wipes is one of our partners, and they sell saline nose wipes, and it's made by moms for moms, contains aloe, chamomile, and vitamin E, and it helps you and your kids avoid raw red nose that you get from dry, regular, bad, sandpapery tissues. I just added those adjectives. I don't know if you figured that out. So it's not your average wipe. It's snot your average wipe. Kids won't run away from them like they do from regular tissues. So here's the deal. Uh, get five bucks off and free shipping if you go to boogiewipes.com slash zenparenting, enter the coupon code zen. And thank you so much to Boogie Wipes for supporting our show. And please support our partner. All right. So here's something, again, finishing up about happy childhoods and that it has the power to help with your relationships later on. So happy childhoods have the power to extend across decades mm-hmm. to predict more secure relationships that people had with their spouses in their 80s, okay, as well as better physical health in adulthood all the way into old age. Basically, they're just, you know, I'm just repeating, I'm just using their language. Um, but it's not just parental bonds. Mm-hmm. It's also about having a close relationship with a sibling, mm. that that helps you extend your life um, and become less depressed. Mm. Well, see, I'm going to go on a tangent here real quick. Okay. I led a men's retreat last weekend, and the way I began the retreat is, uh, because this is a PG show, I'm going to say when the poop hits the fan, we as guys need somebody to lean on. And as, as we grow up, we're taught to be independent and we don't need anybody, any support and all that. And kind of how you introduce, like, things are going to happen in our lives. Of course. Loss, sickness, terrible things are going to happen to us. So what I did was I invited these guys to say, it's too much, you know, most of us were married. It's too much to ask our spouse to be everything to us. Our sexual partner, our friend, our uh, business supporter, like all these different people. So I think one of the things that's missing in our society is guys supporting other guys. And that's what I'm trying to create. Because in that study, the guys who live the longest are the ones that are connected mm-hmm. with other people. Like there, we did a podcast called The Profound Loneliness of American Men. And I know we're not talking about men in this podcast, but I think it's relevant to all people. Right. Like if we are connected socially with other people, we are more likely to be more content human beings. And I agree with that. And I wouldn't, I, there's nothing that you said that is wrong. But one of the points that I want to make is sometimes, like, I want men to have those relationships at all parts of their life. I think sure. it's valuable. But I think there's certain times of your life, like the way I started this podcast was you don't have to go out and figure out and be like, I need new best friends. Yeah. If you pay attention to the relationships that you have in the moment, Mm -hmm. that is what allows you and helps you to develop new relationships later on. What I mean by that is when you are in the heart of parenting and you are in the midst of like you have three young children and you have to work, you may not have time, Todd, to go out and be part of a group. And so can you give your heart 
to developing the relationship with your children mm -hmm. and developing that relationship with your spouse, mm -hmm. maybe your siblings who come over, your mom who you can, you know, like you, you know, taking her to lunch, mm -hmm. that instead of I need to expand more. Deepen the ones you already you deepen have. Deepen the ones you have. And then what that does is as your kids grow older, you have that innate ability yeah. to then develop those relationships as space opens up. Right. Because that's always what, even though like I fully support men's work and I think everything you said is true and yeah. I believe in having my girlfriend, you know, I need my girlfriends and that friendship. I think it stresses people out sometimes mm. to say you need more versus focus on what you have and then use that, what you learned from the from those relationships, and they transfer to the next. So basically, phase. your thrust of this podcast is not to look at the world through um, a a, lack. a place of lack. Right. We all are in relationships. Correct. Whether We're it's the bus them. driver driving us it. to wherever. That's it. So work on who you have, as yes. opposed to seek out others. Yes, because in seeking out others is good, but it's not essential. And this is what I mean about like when we get emails from people who are like. You know, I need more. I need a group like you have. I need a friend like you have. And then I'll say, well, who's in your life? And they'll be like, well, I have my mom and I have my spouse and I have my kids and I have my cousin. And I'm and I'm like, okay, wait a second. You have all these amazing relationships around you and you're not paying attention to them. You're thinking they're not enough. So why wouldn't, so like say there's a mom listening right now who kind of has a distant relationship with her sister. Right. What prevents that mom from being vulnerable and doing all these things. And my, I think the answer is there's baggage built up sure. and it's scarier to do that. Sure. And some people may say, I don't want to put my attention on my relationship with my sister. And that's okay. Yeah. Like this also isn't about go mend all your relationships. I think what happens is we miss what's right in front of our face, which is First of all, there's this belief system we have that if we have a struggle, it's because of the person in front of us, mm -hmm. when really relationships are the way that we figure out what's going on inside of us. Right. The person in front of you is a reflection of you. They're, it, they're not you, right. but they're reflecting back to you, you. Which is a tricky thing to grasp. Can you talk more about that? Well... If Todd, like, because I would say, no, the guy who just cut me off on the street has nothing to do with me. He cut me off. Right. How's that about me? Well, and the, the guy that cut you off on the street is someone you may never see again. So that's an easy thing to get mad about, flip him off and move My on. My sister ignored me at the party last week. How's right. that about me? Because there is something in that that you must already believe, which is if she ignored you, she thinks you're not good enough. Mm -hmm. She doesn't think you're fun. Mm -hmm. She doesn't, she's doing it again, what she did when you were five years old. She didn't listen to you. She didn't have your back. And those are all inherent feelings of not being good enough or not being valued. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's all your fault and it doesn't mean you have to tackle it alone. It's still something you can discuss. See, Here's the thing. If your sister ignored you at a party and you feel like you aren't valuable. You're betrayed. You going to her and talking to her about it is not about changing her. Mm -hmm. It's about healing you. But if I change her and she doesn't ignore me at the party, then I'll be happy. But if she doesn't, someone else is going to ignore you at right. the party. See, the thing is, is that what you're healing is yourself. And these people in front, so what we, this is the boat that we miss. Here's the boat that gets away, is we think, 
okay, if something you did triggers something in me, then really it's just all about me and I should figure this out alone and it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. Okay. You, what you did may be triggering me and it may be all my stuff, but the way I work through it is with you Mm -hmm. by talking to you about how I feel about you reflecting back to me that you hear me and about you acknowledging what I'm feeling, not taking ownership of it's all my fault, but you saying, I can understand how you feel that way. What can we do? That is what untangles knots that live inside of us. Like all those knots that we have created that nobody gets me, nobody understands, no one will listen. As soon as somebody does that not untangle. So it wasn't their fault necessarily, unless, it's, you know, again, this gets, this gets difficult because right. people will throw situations at me and go, well, what about this one? What about this one? You know, not everything, some things are more blatant. Well, to go even deeper, like there's times when you you get, you do get betrayed by somebody. Right. You so do. you have a choice in right. that moment. You could either get mad and scream and shout and hit and be aggressive or you can allow for that because knowing that that betrayal was not something about you, that betrayal was something inside of them. Right. So why, you know, Don Miguel Ruiz, why am I taking this personally? And that is wonderful to talk about, Todd, but it's, that's so much to ask of somebody. I know. You know, like, you know, it's a great comment. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, why would I take it personally that someone betrayed me? Mm -hmm. Because it's so painful. Mm -hmm. But your point is that person is the one who's struggling with something, but it's now affecting me. And so I guess my point is, is that why connection is everything and relationships are essential is it's with other people that we work through things. So the best relationships are not the ones that are like, you know, well, we look good together or this person or, you know, they, they meet all the criteria on my list or, you know, they like the same wine I do. It's does this person, are they willing to talk with you through things? Do they understand what you're saying? Do they acknowledge their own challenges? Do they respond rather than react? And again, you may be sitting here saying, no, my partner doesn't do that. These are things that can be learned and practiced, especially if you are willing to go first and learn it. That's exactly what I was going to say is because you're saying, do they, do they, do they, I can hear somebody listening to this saying, no, they don't No, they don't No, They don't. Exactly. So what this is, is, are you, are you, are yes. we, am I yes. doing this? Am I loving somebody who's not being loving towards me? Right. That's where it starts. Like <clears throat> sometimes I work with guys that are in uh, marital issue, you know, they might get, might yeah. get divorced. Yeah. And I would, you know, my advice to these guys after a lot of talking is until you can love them for who they are and how they're treating you and you stay above the line, then you if you're just waiting for them to change and you're not willing to love them in the way they are, there's no way it's going to work out. You got to make the first move. And, you know, and what does that mean? You know, because sometimes marriages don't work out and there, and there is a natural end to it, meaning we did all the things and we're just not on the same page. But for the person who is walking away, um, can they say to themselves, and this is your point, that I showed up in the way that makes me feel that I was in my integrity, that I did everything I could, exactly. not everything I could from, um, in a material way, yep. like I bought the house and I did the job, but like, 
I was hoping she would or he would be more open with me. So I started being more open. Right. Until you can say I was open and loving when they weren't. And I did that not for a day or a weekend, but for six months right. or something like that. And then if after that, you realize it's not a good fit, then I would say, okay, it doesn't sound like this is a good match. A few of my friends who have gone through <clears throat> divorce have done that very well, meaning they have taken, they have tried, they have gone above and beyond through therapy, through, you know, going on vacations, through, through trying to shift the way that they communicated and it didn't work. And they both realized it didn't work. And so there was a sense of that's where you can kind of, as you know, Gwyneth Paltrow would say, where there can be more of a conscious uncoupling, like we're not leaving out of spite. Mm -hmm. We're not leaving out of I'm going to, you know, get you first. We realized we're not do, we're not able to do this, but we did everything we could. Right. So then there can be a a separation that has some um not kindness. What's the word I'm looking, you know, respect. Mm -hmm. For we gave it a we gave it a shot, you know? But my, but the hope is the other 75% of the time or 50% of the time or you know, what is the divorce rate these days? Is it 50-50? Uh, give or take. Your hope is that I, I think everybody's hope, because if you go into marriage, this is what your hope is, that shifting the dynamic does shift everything. And you know, let's take it off marriage for a second, okay? Because that's that can be the most first and intense relationship within the family and I think can be the most important as far as setting the tone for everything else. But then same with our kids, like how we relate to them, like we asking them to be kind when we're not kind to them. Yep. Asking them to fulfill every dream we ever had when we didn't. Asking them to work harder than we ever have or had or will. Yep. It's not it's not a fair transaction. It's not a um it's not even a transaction. It's not a fair relationship. Right. Our expectation of them is greater. Um so Todd, this is, I'm going to go on to number two because I know we don't have a lot of time here. This one relates more to the tribe. So this is another thing that came out of this Harvard study that people with difficult childhoods can make up for them in midlife. Mm -hmm. Okay. Are we in midlife? Yes. Are we? Yes. Doesn't that just seem weird? Yes. I still feel like I'm 20, but I know. we're probably past midlife. No. I'm 47 or 40. How old am but I? But isn't midlife like, I don't know. If you think you're going to live to your 98, you're midlife. Okay, I'm midlife. So people who grew up in challenging environments, like with chaotic families, you know, economic uncertainty, whatever, and they maybe had less happy, you know, I'm putting that in quotes, like it was a more challenging childhood. Um, if they, once they reach middle age, um, they can, if they focus on, like what you're saying, developing different relationships and finding, you know, um, people that they can relate to, you know, it's kind of like what we talk about with neuroplasticity of the brain. If you find a good friend or you connect with someone from childhood that you, you know, develop a friendship again, your brain can be, you can lay down new paths to trust people, to understand people, to, um, to never, bring relationship into your life. And I don't know if this is where you're going, but it's never too late. I remember Dan Siegel in one of his books talked about how this man had a horrible, tough life through when he was 88. And then he worked with Dr. Siegel and he created new pathways yeah, absolutely. as like an 88 year old man. And the other part of midlife is helping the next generation, meaning that you can develop those neural pathways of, you know, of happiness, not just through 
developing relationships of, you know, your own age, but mentoring people who are younger than you. So mm -hmm. people, you know, and this makes total sense. These aren't new things. Mm -hmm. If you've had struggles, it can feel really good to help people who are younger than you who are having similar struggles. Yeah. Like everything I talk about in my, you know, on this show, in my college classes, whatever, I can't necessarily identify with everything personally, but there are so many pieces of things that I have felt pain about. So it is so nice for me to be able to share with other people. There's other ways to look at this that have helped me and me just sharing that makes me feel better. Well, and I'll flip that on its head too. We're in our upper forties right now. There's 70 and 80 year olds that have much more wisdom than you and I Amen, do. Yes. And I think as a society, we disregard our older population we and do. they have wonderful gifts to share. And I feel like it's devalued in our society. So we just have to slow down and listen. Like, you know, my, my mom now, like she's just slower. Mm -hmm. She's just slower. She has a harder time getting in cars. She has a harder time hearing us. She has, a, this is called age, you mm -hmm. know? But it doesn't mean she still doesn't have something really wonderful to we write, share. We write or... the elderly off way too quick because they can't, you know, walk as quickly because right. they can't, you know, my dad annoys me about how he chews gum. Right. Like, what's that? Right. This is how he chews gum. Right. Um, so there's so many um, catty things yes. that makes us dismiss people that are older than yes. us. When in fact, they've been on this earth a long time. And I would say most older people have something to share. Yes. If we are, if we slow down to listen yeah. and then, you know, this one, we kind of already said, um, is another thing that came out of the study that we already said, you know, earlier, but is about learning how to cope with stress has a lifelong payoff. So if you do have a situation in your life that is stressful, um, especially when your kids are growing up, again, supporting them through it and helping them know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that, that grief is a normal part of life, that, um, that the challenge that you're having right now will not last forever, that the feelings that you're having today in a week may not be here. And, but talking about them is okay. Mm -hmm. Again, we don't say to our kids when they say I'm struggling with something in two weeks, you won't be, you mm -hmm. don't say that to them. You let them process through it and let them know that processing through it or talking about it, even if, even if it feels immature to you, which yep. it's going to be because they're kids, even if it feels, you know, like there are sometimes when my kids, maybe their way of thinking is focused more of a negative, like, well, I'm just not going to get my hopes up so I don't get disappointed. I don't like that, meaning that I would like them to focus on being optimistic or whatever. But you understand as a teenager why that is protective. Sure. Why a teenager would want to be like getting disappointed hurts. Safer to do it that way. Exactly. And so understanding it rather than constantly correcting them. Um, so, you know, helping them adapt to stress um, and then time with other people protects us from life's up and ups and downs. Like, I love being alone. I have I love being alone. I have no problem with that. But I also know that I can get too far into my own head. And that all of a sudden you, you know, you and I will go have lunch or I'll have to go pick up the girls or I'll go to dinner with a friend. And just being with another person gets you out of your head. Yeah. You know, instead of getting lost in your own minutia and fear. Yeah, I don't have that problem, sweetie. You don't get lost in your head? Well, I, you and I are opposites. I get energy from being with people and many times your energy depletes 
when being with people. Right. And not because of the people, but because of the way that I energize. Yeah, you're hardwired in a certain way. Right. And so I have to be thoughtful about not getting too lost in being alone, but also... And I have to be be careful not to be too lost in being with people because I'm scared of solitude. Right. Right. And there is, you know... It, it goes both ways. Like sure. it's, it's just about balance. Yep. And and I don't think either of us, like, I can't imagine my life. Like you guys go away for like a day and I'm, I'm good then. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't need weeks on end alone, even though sometimes that can give you the deep dive that yeah. we need. And I also want to thank our second partner of the week impact baseline test. Um, they have a new learning hub, which you can find at baselinetesting.com slash learn. And this is where you can find concussion care resources, including misinfographics, guides, and info on concussions. And they also have an Alexa flash briefings. In case you don't remember what they do, it's a test that you take, which measures brain function when you're in a healthy state. If you get a concussion, doctors have your baseline as a comparison after the injury. So uh, go to baselinetesting.com, type in Zen 25, and it'll bring the cost from 20 bucks down to 15. So thanks to Impact Baseline Test. So anyway, this, you know, this happiness study, I was, I was thinking about it. I was actually talking to my class about it and also just about their, you know, there was an article that I read about what Bill Gates and Warren Buffett would, the advice that they would give to people, you know, who are younger than them, who are either raising kids or, you know, going through the a period of life that they've already gone through. And they both said, you know, everybody's waiting for the big words of advice that about money or mm-hmm. about finances or saving. And they said, pay attention to your relationships. Yeah. That was their advice. So you look at these two men who have, you know, two of the wealthiest men ever, right? And their advice is, it's not in the money. Never. You know? Even though that's what most people are striving towards. If you're listening to this podcast, my guess is you have a roof over your head, a faucet that works, and um, and food in the fridge. Right. We get it pretty good. Right. And that is... And yet we're worried about making enough money to buy that BMW. Right. Thinking that it's going to make us happier. Right. We really do believe the bigger house or the whatever, then we're going to have more of a contentment. And what what I know from a lot of the people I work with is it can be really scary when you move into that house and you don't feel any different. Well, you will for about a week. Yeah. Or two. Right. Or a year. Yeah. But it 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 is it does not sustain. It's the endless hole. Yep. I, I lately I've been calling it like the hole of terror. Like, you know, like I, I have this. Sounds thing. like a good amusement ride. Well, it is. It's like this is space in me. And I, I don't think I'm alone in this, even though I haven't really talked about, I don't even know if I've no, shared this with you, but it's like this space, this open space, this like wound that is always kind of cleared out and open and ready for something to fill it. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have something that I'm concerned about, worried about, focusing on, scared about, then it'll just take whatever it can and worry about it and like spin it like a centrifuge. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I can't stop thinking about it. Like it's a it's a terror place. And I at least I recognize that because a lot of the things that it spins, I can stand back and go, that's ridiculous. You know, like that, that, that didn't scare me three days ago, but three days ago I was stressed about something else. And then now the terror hole is open. So it's just pulling whatever it can. Um, but the, you know, getting off of that for a second, the truth is that this, you know, we can talk about research and throw that your way because for all of you listening, I know that helps. Um, it, it helps remind us that this is something that's been studied 
but we really don't need the research because we all know it feels better. It feels good you know, in, in our bodies when we're in relationship with people and, and sometimes it's, you know, with our parents and sometimes it's with our siblings and and sometimes it's our children and sometimes it's our, you know, I hope it's your spouse or your partner or your friends, you know, it's people that keep us, that's... Sweetie, you're reciting Brian Doyle Murray's line from Christmas Vacation. That's exactly what I meant to do. He's like, it's people that make the difference. It is. It's become so cliche. And the thing is, is we'll say, well, people annoy me. I can't stand people. Some people annoy you. But what about the people that when you look around, you forget that they're even there? You know, you, you're so used to them that you think, I need more. Instead of paying attention to the people that are right there in your life. And, and it, and it will be. And so you say, but that's challenging. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is. It can be challenging when you love someone and you depend on them. That can be the ultimate challenge because you love and depend on them. See, well, it's, that's attachment. It is a lot of times why people get out of really intense relationships and go into a relationship that has no value. Meaning it's like kind of a relationship based on, you know, mm-hmm. something that is not in love. Mm-hmm. It's because then they don't have to worry about caring. They don't, they're like, this person could leave or they may not leave and it doesn't matter to me, you know, or they get, people get involved in friendships that are frivolous and not meaningful. And that's because there is a piece of, then they don't have to worry so much, but that's not where the good stuff is. Um, I was just re-listening to my Michael Singer course again. Uh-huh. And he said, I know what everybody's worrying about. He's like, one of two things. And he's like, and I don't even know who you are, but I know one of these two things are going to worry you. Option A, getting something you don't want, or option B, not getting something that you do want. That is right. that is the creation of worry. And that's when he talks about um, resisting things that you don't want to, or clinging to like past memories, you know, right. it takes you out of presence. Yes. And I'm, I'm all about like the, the resisting, like that made more sense to me, but the idea of clinging is, is a new idea that I'm still working through is I'm clinging to, Oh, my daughters used to be three and now they're 15 and I'm clinging to those. And we were in our thirties and now in our forties. And when I worry about that stuff, it takes me out of the present moment. Well, and those kind of things can be more nostalgia. Like clinging is also, you know, I have to do these things so everything stays safe. Mm-hmm. And I have to, in, they almost become superstitions. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to go to this class. I have to do that because we're trying to maintain certainty. Yes. When the thing I have, and I'm saying to all of you, just so you know, this is really hard for me. Yeah. Because I love certainty. And I like, you know, I like to know you know, I, I like to have more access yeah. to w- what's going to happen. But the truth is, is I don't. Right. And so I get really scared and I worry about things. And what I realize is what you said is I really am clinging right. to I want certainty and no one is ever going to have it. And no. that is the letting go. That is the principle of mindfulness. That is the that is why we are present, because we realize that the idea of what knowing what's going to happen tomorrow isn't guaranteed to anybody. And that sounds scary to me initially. I say those words out loud and I get that chill. Mm. But then there's also a sense, but you're here. And this is the only thing that's real. Yeah. So start from here. So, all right. So we have a few events coming up. 
we have Bringing Sex Ed into the 21st Century in Downers Grove on April 9th. And then put, this is a save the date, um, October 25th through the 27th, Kathy and I are going to be at 1440 Multiversity in Scotts Valley, California. Um, so you can't register for that one. You can register for the sex ed thing, but you can't register for the uh, Zen Parenting Weekend Workshop out in California yet, but hopefully soon. Just write down the date, and we're just saying that because we know that it sometimes takes, if you're going to schedule something like that, you know, yeah, it October takes... Yeah, October will be here before you know it. And then uh, Early Bird um, 2020 Zen Parenting Conference, February 28th and 29th. Working on it. Working on it. Yep. <laughs> Sweetie's, her wheels are spinning. So, uh, and I want to thank our last partner, uh, Jeremy Craft from Avid Company. If you have a project coming up, a new kitchen, painting your house, new basement, Jeremy's your guy. He's a bald headed beauty. Avidco.net, 630-956-1800. And I think that is about it, sweetie. All right. Well, um, we're going to be on spring break next week or this week yeah. when you're listening to this. Um, so if you are also on spring break, enjoy. And we'll be back. Keep trucking, everybody. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. And what about my book, sweetie? Just my books. Oh. We want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, and guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. Uh, so we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at avidco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough, and uh, keep trucking. Adios.